The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman is brought to you by Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility and by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation, Green Mountain Power, Concept2, Norwich Solar Technologies, The Alchemist Brewery, Let's Grow Kids, UVM Medical Center, and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. More than 8,000 Vermonters are under some form of correctional control. One in four people incarcerated in Vermont are held pretrial and have not been convicted of a crime. Today, a poll was released by the American Civil Liberties Union of Vermont showing that two in three Vermonters want to reduce the prison population by investing in community-based alternatives. Four in five Vermonters support alternatives for offenses resulting from substance misuse, mental health conditions, and poverty. To talk about the poll and some recent uh, civil liberties decisions in Vermont course, our guest this half hour is James Lyle, the executive director of the ACLU of Vermont. And full disclosure, I am a board member of the ACLU of Vermont. Uh, James Lyle, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. So talk about the poll that you just released today. What are its key findings, and what, for you, are the takeaways? Yeah, so, um, I mean, we've known for some time that the the narrative and public sentiment has shifted significantly uh, over the past several years and and really decades, um, uh, away from the kind of tough-on-crime era where we saw mass incarceration, just runaway mass incarceration nationwide, and here in Vermont. Vermont's prison population uh, is still um, three times what it was in the 1980s. Um, and, but we've seen that the public uh, perception of criminal justice and criminal justice reform has, shift, has shifted significantly, um, again, here in Vermont and nationally. Um, and this is a shift that crosses party lines. This is... Um, cross-partisan, uh, it cuts across demographics in Vermont, it, it, it extends to all regions of the state, where people really uh, are fed up, frankly, with a tough-on-crime approach that um, devalues uh, human lives um, and wastes human potential, and uh, as well as significant taxpayer dollars, uh, locking up uh, ever more uh, numbers of Vermonters. Um, and so we can we we know that the public is with us uh, on these issues, uh, but we think it's really important that policymakers know that as well, particularly as they take up really uh, critical criminal justice reform proposals this year. Uh, so we conducted a, a poll um, just a few weeks ago um, with a national polling firm, Lake Research Partners, uh, conducted the poll of 500 Vermonters, um, uh, again across the state, um, and. Uh, once again, we, we saw really broad, consistent, strong support for the kinds of criminal justice reforms that, that the ACLU has been championing, and, and some of which are at the legislature this year. Um, and, uh, I mean, one of the things that's striking about it is we asked sort of top line, you know, do you support reducing uh, the number of people in prison by increasing investments in alternatives to incarceration, alternative programming, um, uh, uh, restorative justice programs, uh, treatment programs, and so forth. Uh, and there was, you know, two and three people supported 
that position, you know, I think you, you read off the 80-plus percent said they supported uh, pursuing community-based alternatives for uh, offenses resulting from uh, addiction, mental health conditions, and poverty, which is the vast majority of criminal offenses. Um, I mean, 57% of Vermonters strongly support community-based alternatives over prison uh, for, for those kinds of offenses. Um, but we also asked about a lot of specific criminal justice policies, and it was really striking um, that public support for uh, for all of those proposals was was very strong. Um, you know, for example, two in three people supported reforming Vermont's community supervision system, which is our probation, parole, and furlough system, um, which you know I'll come back to. But that is uh, that is at a live issue in in the legislature this year. Um, they supported. Uh, uh, eliminating the practice of returning people to prison for quote unquote technical violations. Um, currently, Vermont returns people who are on probation, parole, furlough to prison at the highest rate in the country. Um, the majority of them for technical violations like drinking, being late to curfew, or not having adequate housing. Um, let, so, let me just stop you there. The highest yeah. rate in the country of returning people to prison for what seem like technical violations. How did we get to that place? Well, so that uh, that takes us to um, you know the legislature and what's been happening uh, really over the past several months um, with um, the justice reinvestment process that Vermont is is currently in. So, some background on that: um, uh, a group of policymakers, criminal justice experts, and other stakeholders have been coming together over the past several months to assess Vermont's criminal justice system, to look at the data, and to make recommendations about what's, what's, where we can make improvements. Um, and uh, this is led by uh, an outside criminal justice uh, uh, think tank, uh, the Council of State Governments. Um, and this is a process that they have done in, in multiple states. They were actually in Vermont a decade ago, and the policy recommendations that they put forward you know, back in 2007, 2008, have been credited uh, with reducing Vermont's prison population by about 20, 25 percent. We're playing a big part in that. Um, so this is essentially justice reinvestment part two for Vermont. Um, and the takeaway from that, uh, from this sort of system-wide assessment of Vermont's prisons and criminal justice system at large, is that, you know, one of the biggest problems, there are several, but one of them uh, that CSG uh, and other stakeholders um, focused on is the fact that as I say, we have um, the harshest, uh, statistically, the harshest community supervision system in the country. If you look at revocations of furlough, probation, and parole, um, 80% uh, of, of admissions in 2019 were, uh, were people whose community supervision had been revoked. And again, the majority, about 70%, were revoked for technical violations, not for new crimes. Um, and I guess, I mean, probation, parole, and furlough, it's important to point out, these are systems that are in place to help people re-enter the community and to succeed on the outside um, and to reintegrate into society and live productive lives. And instead, Vermont's community supervision system has set up, has created essentially a revolving door. Um, and we, I mean, we've seen recently um, in Paul Hines reporting for seven days, um, the human uh, impact of having a system that, that really fails people, where you you know had reporting in December of women uh, in Vermont uh, CRCF Vermont's only women's prison, um, you know being followed into the community, exploited and abused by correctional officers, and then revoked back into prison where they were abused further. Um, but I mean, this is a, a system that fails 
inmates, it, it fails their families, um, and statistically, as I say, has the, the highest revocation rates uh, in the country. So this is a big focus of uh, criminal justice reform efforts this year, uh, and legislators, to their credit, um, are already acting uh, on taking up legislation that would essentially overhaul uh, this system. What would an overhauled system look like? Um, well, it's still, I mean, legislation was only introduced last week. Um, and so it's still, uh, we're going to be testifying, um, I believe, tomorrow uh, on um, an early draft of this legislation. Um, and, you know, so, so it's just starting out. But uh, among other changes, it looks like um, uh, instituting uh, presumptive parole for people who've reached um, their minimum sentence lengths. I mean, the majority of sentenced Vermonters are in past their minimum sentence length. Again, many because their uh, community supervision has been revoked. Um, there are proposals to reduce sentence lengths for good behavior, so-called good time provisions. Um, there are data collection provisions, another, another piece of this puzzle uh, that um, the justice reinvestment process has identified is the, the woeful lack of criminal justice data uh, that is uh, readily available to policymakers and the public to, to make informed uh, criminal justice policy decisions. Um, so I mean, this legislation and the presentation uh, by uh, the Council of State Governments suggested that even reforming, focusing on the community supervision system alone, could reduce the number of Vermonters uh, in prison by at least 100, possibly upwards of 130 people. That's just focusing on this one aspect. That's not say, that's not to say nothing about bail reform, sentencing reform, other smart justice reforms that could uh, reduce the number of Vermonters in prison further. And that includes, you know, hundreds of Vermonters who are currently incarcerated in Mississippi in a private prison out of state. What would be the savings uh, of reducing the prison population as, you know, in the ways that you're trying to do the cost savings? Um, millions of dollars. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, CSG did a very conservative estimate of just looking at, again, only looking at this one piece of the puzzle, only looking at reforming community supervision. Um, and over time, it's millions of dollars in savings. Um, I mean, if you look at the... the uh, the possibility for further reductions through things like sentencing reform. If we were to reduce our prison population by two to 300 people, I mean, we're spending $7 million a year to, to, to pay a, pri a notorious private prison company, Core Civic, to lock up Vermonters in Mississippi. So, I mean, the ACLU and our Smart Justice campaign set a goal uh, two years ago when we launched this campaign of reducing Vermont's prison population uh, by 50% from its peak uh, a decade ago. Um, and so if we meet that goal, I mean, one possibility is that Vermont doesn't need to send people to an out-of-state private prison. That's $7 million um, right there. Um, you know, we, we believe that the... Uh, the reforms under consideration this year are an incredibly important start, uh, fixing uh, what statistically, again, is the worst community supervision system in the country is an important priority, um, but there's still a lot more that we can do, and millions of dollars in taxpayer savings that can be better invested in people, in communities, in rehabilitation, in restorative justice, to lead to better outcomes for, for offenders, for individuals, for families. Um, and really for all of us. Uh, we've seen that the current criminal justice system as it exists um, doesn't do any of that uh, effectively. Um, and, uh, and again, to go back to the poll, Vermonters across the 
political spectrum and across the state recognize that, and they strongly support moving towards a system that you know invests in people over incarceration. And do you have what is the current number, the cost of incarcerating one person for a year in Vermont? Um, again, I don't have that in front of me, but it, you know it's tens of thousands of dollars, and it's different for out of state versus in state, men versus women. Um, it, it, you have to also factor in healthcare costs um, with some, uh, particularly older inmates, um, uh, costing um, more uh, in terms of providing medical care, even though Vermont is not uh, pr- currently providing a constitutional level of healthcare, uh, which is, you know, I mean, we have a, a lawsuit with Harvard Law School against the Department of Corrections for denying uh, life-saving hepatitis C treatment to literally hundreds of Vermont inmates. Um, so, I mean, if you factor in what we should be paying in terms of a constitutional level of health care that we are legally obligated uh, to pay uh, for people who are incarcerated, as well as the cost of incarceration, it, I mean, it can vary uh, significantly depending on in-state, out-of-state, men, women, and, and, and the health care costs. But, I mean, we, the DOC's budget is about $150 million. That doesn't take into account any of the criminal justice budget for prosecutors and defense attorneys and courts. Um, Total public safety spending in Vermont is about half a billion dollars per year, uh, about $500 million a year. Um, And, you know, it is our position that we can be much, much smarter about how those resources are spent. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Vermont Conversation. We're speaking in this half hour with James Lyle. He's the executive director of the ACLU of Vermont. I want to talk about some of the big civil liberties court decisions that have come down. Uh, The most recent one was uh, a case involving migrant justice and the Department of Motor Vehicles. Explain what what happened there and and what was the resolution. Yeah, so um, the ACLU uh, has been in litigation um, with and on behalf of – Migrant Justice, that's a Vermont-based migrant farm worker advocacy organization and a great partner of ours in in our immigrant rights work here in Vermont. Um, uh, That organization for years has been uh, targeted, monitored, surveilled, harassed, infiltrated. Um, Its members have been detained and in some cases deported um, by ICE uh, and U.S. Border Patrol with the active participation and, and collaboration of Vermont's Department of Motor Vehicles. DMV has been sharing information with uh, immigration agents um, uh, so that they can target, harass, uh, and, and deport um, migrant justice members and really target the organization in retaliation for its very successful advocacy and activism here in Vermont. Migrant justice, uh, along with ACLU, has been involved in uh, uh, multiple legislative, successful legislative campaigns to get a fair and impartial policing policy passed, uh, to win driver's licenses uh, for undocumented immigrants. Um, and Migrant Justice, of course, is still engaged in its Milk with Dignity campaign, also historic and very successful. And it's in retaliation for those successes that they and their members have been targeted. So um, a couple of weeks ago, we reached a settlement agreement with DMV. The litigation still continues against ICE and the federal government for this um, targeted retaliatory uh, harassment. Um, But DMV has agreed to um, pretty significant policy changes uh, to rein in this practice of 
becoming entangled and involved in federal immigration enforcement. Um, and, you know, we're really hopeful that as a result of this settlement, um, you know, Vermont policies like the driver's license policy that have already been passed will actually be followed, um, and we have some mechanisms in place to ensure that DMV is more accountable um, and that Vermont immigrant communities are safer from this kind of harassment. And um, and so, so that's a, a big step forward. We, as I say, we still have to uh, continue litig- litigation. Still continues as to uh, the federal defendants. So another thing Vermonters encounter are these roving border patrols, and um, the in, in a case that ACLU brought is now going to be heard by the Vermont Supreme Court. What uh, what is that case essentially challenging? So. Yeah, so we got involved in a case um, uh, where a couple uh, in northern Vermont were pulled over by a Border Patrol agent. Um, the evidence that was seized um, pursuant to the search of that vehicle um, has been used in a state prosecution. Um, our position is that uh, essentially evidence that is obtained by federal agents in a manner that would not comport with the Vermont Constitution should not be available to state prosecutors, um, which would effectively allow the government to do an end run around uh, the search and seizure provisions of the Vermont Constitution, which is more protective of privacy and civil liberties than the U.S. Constitution. There's Article 11 of the Vermont Constitution. Um, and so we are briefing this case at the Vermont Supreme Court. This will be our, our third um, pretty major Vermont Supreme Court case um, over the past couple of years. We've had a couple of big wins um, uh, in, in 2019, and, and this will be you know, a really important uh, test of uh, the extent of Border Patrol authority in the interior of the country, um, and again, sort of the, the interplay between local officials and federal immigration agents, which is really what drives a lot of mass deportation. It's a lot of what drove mass deportation under the Obama administration and continues to, to be uh, a, a, a critical area uh, under the Trump administration. How do you see Trump administration policies nationally, the you know crackdowns at the border, the harassment of immigrants of all sorts, uh, particularly Muslim immigrants, how do you see that stuff kind of uh, trickling down into Vermont? Um, well, I mean, it, it's all around us. Um, you know, Border Patrol checkpoints, after uh, a decade without seeing any interior Border Patrol checkpoints in Vermont, we saw, I believe, upwards of 10 so far this year. Um, we have saw dozens of people uh, uh, arrested, dozens of immigrants have been arrested this year. Um, we uh, Obviously, there's this migrant justice case that is still ongoing. Um, we have reports of harassment at the border. We have reports of harassment... Um, uh, and trains and buses with agents um, interrogating people far into the interior of the country, um, where you know racial profiling is always a, a, a strong possibility, if not uh, an outright um, directive. Um, it's certainly part and parcel of interior border patrol enforcement. Um, so you know it's 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 all around us, um, and at the same time, I think it's important to note that it's not new. Um, sometimes it's 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 more extreme. Uh, it's certainly, some of the uh, policy, the most extreme policies uh, of the Trump administration, are some of the worst we've ever seen. 
um, particularly at the at the su- southwest border, um, the Muslim ban, and, and so on. But a lot of the infrastructure and a lot of the rationale underlying those policies is not new. It was in place under the Obama administration, the Bush administration, and the Clinton administration. A lot of the I- immigration enforcement apparatus that we have has existed for years or even decades, and Trump is simply pushing the envelope further. But it, but it's, a lot of these things were already happening in. In, in different ways, uh, and certainly the infrastructure was put in place a long time ago for, for this administration to really be able to take its anti-immigrant uh, xenophobic agenda to a whole other level. And so we need to recognize that so that we, you know, after this administration is gone, if we don't dismantle those systems, then we're going to continue to see these kinds of policies in, under future administrations. And finally, uh, James Lyle, what are you most concerned about as the biggest threat to civil liberties right now? Um, complacency um, and fatigue. I think people are tired. It's been three years under, you know, the most uh, hostile uh, anti-civil liberties administration, in, arguably in U.S. history. Um, and you know, now is not the time to uh, be complacent. Uh, it's really important that we all are engaged in this election. That we are all engaged in the business of defending the Bill of Rights and our civil rights and civil liberties all the time under all administrations, regardless of who's in office. Um, because you know, we've seen what happens when we become complacent, uh, and uh, we, we simply can't afford that any longer. Okay. Well, James Lyle, thanks so much for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thanks for having me, David. James Lyle is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Vermont. And as noted earlier in disclosure, I am a board member of the ACLU of Vermont. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all shows at vermontconversation.com. Tune in next Wednesday at 1 for another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. The Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable child care in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit.